The scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Hear the word of the Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house but could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Samantha. I want to congratulate all the deacons who faithfully serve this congregation. You are helping to make this church what I like to call a sticky church, a church that truly lives out the ethic of love, a church that cares. So thank you so many of you who are here today. And then I'm also grateful to the Lord that you have chosen to gather this morning. You didn't have to do that, but out of your own sense of commitment, you are here. And for those of you who are watching us online, we welcome you uh, to our service today. Would you take a moment and pray with me? Let's pray together. Loving God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come now and speak to us in the language of our hearts. You know what we need. Pray that we will hear your word with understanding and we will answer your call with confidence. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So I want you to take a look at this person on the screen and some of you may know who this person is. Some of you may not know him. It's kind of hard to see, but there is a number in the middle of his chest and right above that number is a country name. And you're looking at one of the greatest athletes that has possibly graced this earth in our time. He's a, he's a fellow Jamaican. His name is Usain Bolt. And I want you to know that I'm not bragging. <laughs> I'm not bragging. This man set world records as the fastest man on the planet in two events. At the 2009 World Athletics Championship in Berlin, Germany, Usain Bolt ran the 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. He followed up at that same event by running the 200 meter race in 19.19 seconds. And there are those who say, that it's quite possible these records will never be broken. You know, it's remarkable how one man can be so popular. The owners of Puma Athletic Wear admit that after Bolt set records in the 100, the 200, and the 4 by 100 meter races that sales of Puma sportwear, the brand that he sponsors, the brand that he gets paid to wear, that it went through the roof. This company was struggling. They were on the steps of bankruptcy. And Usain Bolt 
through his notoriety and the people who follow him, lifted this company out of bankruptcy. So people around the world who follow these kinds of events, they admire him. He's a household name because of what he's accomplished. There are kids, there are kids out there who are aspiring to run for their country because of Usain Bolt. Somewhere in the world, there are young people who are saying to themselves what he did, I want to do. What he accomplished, I think I could do it. I want to run as fast as he ran. There are kids today, young men, young women, reading articles, watching videos, going to the track, working with a coach, lifting weights. They've joined a track team. They're changing the way they eat because they literally, actually want to be like Usain Bolt, and some of them will. A few days ago, I watched the U.S. Nationals on TV. It was happening in Eugene, Oregon. And I said to myself, if I were to ask these young American sprinters who are some of their role models in sprinting, I guarantee you, Usain's, Usain Bolt's name would appear in that conversation. So their kids were watching. Their kids whose hearts are burning that one day they'll be able to go and be in the Olympics and represent America represent their country. They aren't just fans of Usain Bolt. They're followers. They aren't just fans of sprinting. They are devoted to being the best that they can. Now, you look at me and you know immediately I'm not in that category. I wear some of the sportswear, the Puma sportswear. I applaud what Usain Bolt accomplished. But I'm being honest with you, I am not going to change my life. The last time I sprinted 400 meters around a track, that was years ago. Haven't done it since. Have no plans to do it anytime soon. I'm a jogger, slow and steady. I'm also a fan. I'm not a follower. And there's a big difference. You see, a fan is impressed. A follower is devoted, a fan applauds, a follower surrender his or her life to something that is greater, a cause that is greater than the self. Lots of people, including myself, love to quote Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Many marched with him, not many went to jail with him, not many got their houses bombed like he did. A lot of people admire Mother Teresa, I do. One of my favorite quotes of her, she says, I just want to be a pencil in God's hand. I love that. But not many people followed her to live among the destitute and the dying. I'm saying all this because today we come to the fourth question in our summer series, the questions Jesus asked. The first century Jesus was admired by his culture. In our culture, Jesus is still admired, but not many are devoting themselves to him. And so you'll find that the reading we heard, it's a very direct, it's very direct. And if you haven't already, I'd like to invite you again, as I've been doing the last couple of Sundays, if you would pick up a copy of the Bible, a copy of the Pew Bible, 
in front of you. And if you would turn to page 838 in the New Testament section. And if you've already memorized this text, you get a pass. You don't need to touch the Bible. But if you haven't memorized it, I'm going to encourage you to follow along. Page 838 from Luke chapter 6. For those of you who are familiar with Luke 6, you already know that Jesus preached a brilliant but uncomfortable sermon on a mountain, and it's referenced in Matthew 7. Here in Luke, he's preaching an adaptation of that same message, not on a mountain, he's preaching on a plain. So Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Luke 6 today, it's the Sermon on the Plain. And if you would look at verse 12, Jesus does something he does as a regular part of his life. He goes up to a mountain and he spends a whole night in prayer with his heavenly Father. I actually spent time reading through the book of Luke and of all the gospels, Luke is the only one that pictures Jesus praying in significant ways and at significant times in ways that the other gospels don't reference him. In my time as a follower of King Jesus, I've done a few of these all-night prayer meetings, few and far between. I don't do them very often, but here is Jesus on the mountain alone, praying through the night until the daybreak comes, and he calls 12 disciples. He calls them apostles. The word apostle just means someone who is sent. He calls 12 disciples to himself. Now, if I were to ask you to, to define the word disciple, I guarantee you we would get as many definitions as we have people in the sanctuary this morning. But I want to put my definition on the table. If I were to define the word disciple, a disciple is one who is following Jesus, who is being changed by Jesus and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Take a look at that. See if you would agree with that. Does that describe your life? I, I want to be like that. I'm not 100% there. I never will be, really. But a disciple is one who is following, being changed, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Luke 6, the sermon on the plain, is a wonderful sermon, a challenging sermon for big areas, and there's a call to action at the end. And who are the people listening to this sermon? Well, it was a mixed crowd. Of course, the 12 were there. If you look at verse 17, you'll see that the 12 were with him. And then it says there was a great crowd of disciples. I call them unnamed disciples in verse 17. And then there is this great multitude, it says, of people. So it's a mixed bag. He speaks to the crowd first about the blessings and the woes of living in the kingdom of God. You see that in, in verses 20 through 26. The next big area he covers is in verses 27 through 36. He talks about the importance of loving and not hating our enemies. In fact, Jesus says, don't just love the people who love you. That's too easy. Love your enemies. Anybody can love the people who love them, but I want you to love your enemies. And then look at verse 31. I don't want you to miss verse 31. Many of you know this verse as the, as the, the, the golden rule. Imagine 
how human interactions would change in your home, in the places where you work and live, your neighborhood, the people around you. Imagine how the, the relational dynamics would be impacted if you're on the train, on the bus, if we all decided to take these words of Jesus with us into our Mondays and our Tuesdays and the rest of the week, do to others as you would have them do to you. The third big idea in a sermon is in verses 37 through 42. Take a look at that. And to sum it up, I think Jesus is talking about self-awareness. Some of us aren't very self-aware. Don't be quick to judge other people while at the same time you're overlooking the same problems or maybe even worse problems in your life. Jesus' advice is that you first deal with your issues, the log that is in your eye before you focus on the speck that is in your neighbor's eye. And then the last big idea in his sermon is in verses 43 through 45. Jesus says that your life and character are like a tree that bears fruit. And so a bad tree or bad character cannot bear good fruit. A good tree or good character cannot bear bad fruit. In fact, he says we are known by our fruit more than we are known by our words or our good intentions. And then Jesus closes with a call to action, which is what we want to focus on very quickly this morning, the call to action. And it is a serious call. It is a serious call to practice the words and the teachings of Jesus as he gave it on the Sermon on the Plain. And this is why I think, I could be wrong, but this is why I think Jesus very pointedly says, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I tell you? And I want you to notice the double invocation, the double use of his, his title. It suggests emotion, exuberance, excitement, passion, admiration. And listen, these are important emotions to have. But Jesus says, I want more than that. The life that oozes emotion without commitment, without obedience, is a life that is shallow and a life without substance. And so why, why give Jesus a title of honor and respect like Lord, Kurie, or Kurios, and then ignore his teachings? I think this is the heart and the force of the question. Kind of reminds me of a similar, somewhat similar incident that literally happens in chapter 9. You don't need to turn there. But in Luke 9, right at the very end of the chapter, Jesus and his disciples are walking along. And out of the crowd comes a voice, an exuberant voice, Lord, I will follow you. And Jesus said, okay. But you need to know that while the foxes have holes and the birds have their nests, and Jesus loves to speak in the third person, he says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And there's a pause. And then you hear the voice say, Lord, is it okay if I go home and bury my father first? 
And then there's another voice that speaks up and said, Lord, I will follow you. But, Lord, is it okay if I go home first and tell my family goodbye? And Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What I notice about Jesus as I continue to read the Gospels, and I encourage you to do the same, is that often Jesus frequently speaks of things in two ways. He kind of narrows everything down for us to two ways to live. He talks about a broad way. He says it in Matthew, says it in Luke. There's a broad way that you can live. It's a broad road, and many are on that road, but that road leads to, this, to destruction. And Jesus says there's a narrow way that leads to life, and there are few people who are walking on that road. There are two ways to live. Jesus then famously said, you cannot serve God and serve money at the same time. You have to make a choice. And as we heard in our reading this morning, Jesus talks about good fruit and there's bad fruit. And the question is, which are you? And then Jesus says, you need to examine yourself. Don't be busy judging other people. And then Jesus talks about the two types of foundations. One is rock and one is sand. Jesus narrows things for us. And notice what he says in verse 47, if you still have your Bibles open. Let's look at that again. The one who comes to me hears my word and acts on them is like the person building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood arose, the river burst against that house but could not shake it because it had been well built. We've got to ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean? He's talking about our lives. He's talking about we're all building our lives. We're all leaning on something. We're all depending on something. And Jesus says you want to make sure that that something or someone is unshakable. Is there anything, is there anyone more dependable than Christ, the solid rock? And even if you build your life on Christ, I'm telling you the troubles will come. But Jesus promises that our lives will not fall apart. But then he says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 49, if you take a look at verse 49 again, Jesus says, but there is another way to live, but the one who hears and does not act is like someone who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the river burst against it, immediately it fell. And great was the ruin of that life. He's talking about our lives. So yes, you can be a fan. You can admire Jesus. You can be emotional about Jesus. You can be respect Jesus. But often people who are in that mode of thinking, they will tell themselves, well, you don't want to get too serious about this now. You don't want to become a fanatic. Just kind of keep Jesus within your purview, but just don't get too serious about practicing the way of Jesus. I would not recommend that. I wouldn't. 
living without Christ as your foundation is tenuous. It can break at any time. And so we have a choice, don't we? We can embrace Jesus' words, integrate them, bring them home with you to where you live and work and breathe and struggle and succeed. Bring them into the network of people that you interact with or we can dismiss them. Irrelevant. Nothing to do with Monday through Saturday. Window dressing for Sundays. What are you going to do? I would encourage you this morning to choose Christ. I would encourage you this morning to choose the way of Jesus. Practice the words. Practice the way. Why? He's qualified to ask us to do that. Why? He's Lord. Check his curriculum vita. You and I read it this morning. Go back to the Apostles' Creed. Do you know anyone who can make these claims born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried, descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone in their right mind who can make these kinds of claim? He is worthy. He is able. He is Lord. So he's asking you this morning, will you build your life on me? So how do we practice this way of Jesus? I have often said, and I, I know this will sound outrageous, maybe troubling for me to say this, but I often said that the church doesn't need any more members. You notice, you notice the audience that Jesus had, the 12 crowd of disciples, the multitude, and yet at the end of the day, there were 11 with him at the end. Jesus doesn't need the church doesn't need any more members. National Presbyterian Church doesn't need any more members. But what do we need? We need more members who are practitioners. We need more members who are followers of the way, people of the way, disciples. Just about every church on the planet. You walk in, you're new, and they have a way for you to go from the pew to being a member. But where we all struggle, where many of our churches struggle, is how do we take our members and encourage them and enable them and strengthen them so that they are followers, so that they are fulfilling Jesus' last command which is to make disciples. So, what if we use the words that we see in Luke 6:47 as a template for disciple-making? Let's look at that verse again. What would happen if we all came to Jesus, we all listened to his words, and we acted on them? 
And if you're here this morning, and chances are there are people here this morning, you are feeling stuck. You are feeling bored. You are feeling, I don't know what else to do with this thing called Christianity. I've read the Bible. I've done this. I've been to that class. All right, all right, all right. Where is this going? You are stuck. You're just going through the motions. Been there, done that. Well, I want to help you this morning to get out of that rut. And one of the first things I would encourage you to do, and if you could bring that slide back up again from verse 47, because I want people to see that as I walk through that. Jesus did something that I think we can do. It was a part of his life. It was the way he operated, and that is to pray. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, that's one of the things I would encourage you to, to do is to pray. And ask the Lord to become your Lord and your Savior. If you are already a believer, I would still ask you to pray and ask the Lord to remove, remove every competitor. Remove every idol that keeps us away from him. Turn your eyes on Jesus and ask Jesus to take these things that dominate us, that, that holds us enthralled. And these are good things, friends, but they're not the best things. Pray and say, Lord, would you open my eyes so I can see and know and understand the depth of the love that you have for me? It's all about love. Love begets love. Jesus says, I loved you first so that you can learn how to love me. Without love, discipleship and devotion become drudgery and you're stuck in a rut again. Love. Love is what drives passion. And I was on the phone yesterday with a young man for well over an hour, married eight years, eight years into marriage, and already his marriage is falling apart on all sides. And as I listen and as I interact, what's missing is love, agape. So we pray. We want to get out of this rut. We want to follow Jesus, do what he did, pray. Second thing he says we can do is come to me, Jesus says. Come to Jesus. And when I think about that, I, in my mind, what I'm picturing is that we're coming back to the church. We're coming back to his love. We're coming back to the fellowship. We're coming back to the communion table. We're coming back to using our time, some of our time, just to be with him. We're coming back to our small group. Or getting into a small group. We're coming back to Jesus. Because being a disciple is a team sport. It's not a solo sport. And I think of Usain Bolt again. And he had a coach. And he was part of a club. He wasn't doing it by himself. Jesus has come to me. And then he says, when you come to me, I want you to hear my words, hear my teachings. And where can we hear the words of Jesus? One of the things that I've enjoyed seeing since being here, sitting here in the first service, sitting here in the second service, is to see all you moms and dads bringing your little ones to Jesus. Hang on, I'm to do it. There are so many things going on on a Sunday that you could be doing, your kids could be doing. And you as a family, 
As individuals, you are choosing to come to Jesus so you can hear his words. One of the places where you can get that on a Sunday in most churches in this country, you will hear the words of Jesus in the worship service. And when you come Sunday after Sunday, Jesus promises that you're going to be like a tree that's planted by rivers of water and you're going to bear fruit when you come and abide in a worship setting week after week and month after month and year after year, something is going to happen to your life when you come back to Jesus. You come to a Bible study. And there are many going on in this church. You come to, to the men's breakfast or you come to the women's fellowship or you Open up the Bible in your home, and I pray to God that you're not just opening your Bible because the pastor told you to do it. I pray that tomorrow you're doing it. Listen to the sermon podcasts. What you're doing is you're saturating your life with the words of Jesus. His words are life. His words are true. He said to the disciples, you are clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. He said to his disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will break chains in your life and they will set you free. His words are in songs. Look at the great song we sang this morning. Rejoice the Lord is King. Great books, conversations with those who are further along in their practice, but however you're doing it, position yourself so you're hearing his words. And then we get to the hard part. Pray, wonderful. Come to Jesus, wonderful. Hear his words, wonderful. And then Jesus had to meddle. He said, I want you to act on them. I want you to put them into practice. And friends, I will say to you again, this is what separates fans from followers. Imagine, imagine for a moment if you started taking Jesus at his word and you started showing love to that supervisor, that boss who is treating you in a very unprofessional way. Everything in you is saying, hate this man. Put that dagger in his back. Do everything you can to get him fired. But you read the words of Jesus and you're finding out that you're called to love that person. Imagine if you are the boss. You are the supervisor. And you are treating your staff in a poor way. But you've read the words of Jesus. And because Jesus is not locked up in the building, he's in your office He's where you work. You say, you know what? I am going to apologize to, my, to, my, to, my, to my, my staff team. Imagine what would happen. Imagine what would happen if you, as a teenager, as a young adult, as a child, you're hearing the words of Jesus and you decide you're going to start listening and obeying what your parents are telling you. Imagine. If you went home today and you apologized to your parents, to your spouse, to your sibling, 
you apologize for being obnoxious, for being disrespectful. Imagine what would happen if you brought Jesus into that dynamic. Imagine if we took the golden rule. Maybe you wrote it down on a slip of paper. You put it in your car. You mount it somewhere on your desk at work, somewhere in your homes that, where you can just remember Luke 6.31. Luke 6.31. I'm about doing to others what I want them to do for me and to me. Imagine if you took the golden rule with you into your Mondays and your Tuesdays and your Wednesdays. Imagine what happens if we all would be more quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Imagine if by God's grace we would, we would spend more time examining our insides, our life, instead of judging other people. Imagine what would happen if we started admitting that the fruit of our character is contradicting what we say, imagine what would happen to our church if we all decided we want to live the Jesus way. Our lives would be transformed. C.S. Lewis, and I want you to see this quote C.S. Lewis wrote these powerful words. During the Second World War, he wrote the book, Mere Christianity. And this is one of those ouchies for me, actually. The church exists for nothing else but to draw we could insert their people. It's not just men, and maybe he meant that in a universal sense, but to draw people into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, they meaning the church, the big C church. If the church isn't doing that, then all the cathedrals, all the, the clergy, the missions, the sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose like him, walk like him, sound like him, smell like him. We would be the aroma of Christ in the DMV. That's why he came. That's why we exist. And I'm going to ask you this morning if you would then join me in praying. I have this little prayer request by the end of December of this year, if God so chooses, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God would bring to the National Presbyterian Church an unmistakable increase of people of all ages, all ethnicities and backgrounds who are praying for more love, who are coming to Jesus, who are hearing his word, and who are acting on them, would you join me in praying that in your small groups, in your home groups, in your personal private prayers, if you would join me in praying for our congregation that we would be a church that is distinctly marked 
as people who are practicing and following the way of Jesus. The church needs more than members. She needs members who are devoted disciples of Jesus Christ in every, 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 every sphere of life. She needs followers of King Jesus, not fans. That is the prayer I would urge you to pray for our church as we increasingly live, as we live increasingly in a challenging, challenging culture. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the people of God say, Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, you are merciful. Hear the prayers we offer to you this morning. Grant that we may know and understand those things you have called us to do. And may your grace and your power come to us to help us to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is King and Lord forever. Amen.